<laughs> just do it. Just Nike slogan. <laughs> Nikes, right? right? Swoosh. <laughs> nice to meet you. Wasn't Nike oh. a goddess? <laughs> I think Nike was a goddess. Yeah. Which one was goddess she? Goddess of luck. Right. Ah, oh, yes, and the goddess of child labor and... <laughs> yeah. And sick kicks. All right. <laughs> you know, every time I see the word yikes, I just read yikes. <laughs> I find it not impossible, but less likely that the deity in charge of enslaving children would be female. <laughs> Right? Not impossible, it's, it's just big, less likely. Stretch. Less it's a stretch. Yeah. Like yeah. His, history has like a scoreboard and it's like, well, <laughs> you better I got to get good odds on that bet to, to put my money yeah, down. Yeah, on Zeus was really like, you know what? Two wrongs don't make a right, but 99 do. <laughs> 99? <laughs> like 99. Infinity like in wrongs. a day maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Zeus was like, "Listen, I know that I cheat on my wife all the time, but if somebody else does it, oh no, that's no good for me. You know, once you learn the real stories about Zeus and you watch Hercules again, you're just like, you're not a friendly old man, mister. Oh no, 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 no. You're not a, you're not a Santa Claus looking rip torn actor. <laughs> yes. All right. It's all Greek to me. Should we start the pod? It's all Greek to me. All right. Good, good lead in. How much did it, how much made it into the actual episode? We'll never know until it comes out. But... Welcome, everybody. Welcome, one and all, to Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movie podcast. I bumped the table, and now it's going to sound awful, so I have to take it again. <laughs> welcome welcome again, everybody, to Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movie podcast hosted by three wonderful friends, really awesome friends, and we watch a horror movie every week, and we talk about that horror movie, and I am so excited. I'm going to introduce my co-hosts, my <laughs> compatriots, and my co-conspirators Alex Wan and Luke Mason. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm well. I'm well. <laughs> I'm glad you're good. No, yeah, that's right. I decided overnight I'm going to become Superman. Mm. You are? Yeah. Oh. How's that, how's that working out? I don't know. Superman does good. I do. Oh, you do well. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. I see. <laughs> I see. Well. Hey. Hey. Krypton. Reave it alone. <laughs> Is that too soon? <laughs> and I think it's probably just in the right amount of time because that other voice you're hearing is Luke Mason, my other co-conspirator. And how are you doing, Luke? I am so good. I can't wait for today's interview. There's some really delicious sandwiches in, um, what do you call that thing before the interview, that place you hang out? I don't know. I like it in there. Uh, Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Pennsylvania. That's what you call it. Mm. Oh, I thought it was the uh, blue open space. It was not the blue open space, but that does sort of obliquely lead into the episode we're talking about. It shouldn't have and, been that uh, oblique. <laughs> Acutely? Yes. I don't know. Yes. Anyway, I'll take that. listeners, if you are just joining us for the first time, what we do is we kind of uh, have gone into themes where every month we do a horror movie sort of around a different theme. And November we have picked... We have picked horror movies that have been suggested by our fans. So people who've been like, I really want you to cover this episode or this movie for an episode. And so that's what we're doing in November. And there's a disclaimer that comes with it because I realize this. Listeners, if you're the one who suggests the movies and we do pick one, I understand that sometimes these may be your favorite movies. These may be a movie you really hold dear to your heart. I cannot promise we at Nothing to Fear will feel the same way about your favorite movie if, in fact, you've suggested it to us. So 
just in case we say things that you're like, that's not, that. you're making fun of my favorite movie in the world. Please don't add us in an angry way. You can add us in a nice way and we'll talk to you. But if you're like, how dare you ruin my childhood memories, then take it somewhere else. Oh, so we're, we're recording wow. as normal this month? I was under the impression that I was supposed <laughs> to lie this entire month. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. We we would never do that. We have integrity here. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that good old integrity. Some of that integrity. But we are going, and Luke, you actually are first up in the rotation for Listener Request Month. So tell the folks at home or in their cars or on their walks where they're listening to us, what did you pick for them today? So of the listener suggestions that we got, I selected the, I believe it's 2015 film Green Room, starring Anton Yelchin and Imogen Poots, so the second round of uh, the two of them being in one of our films. Actually pretty recent, because they were in the remake of Fright Night. I think it also has, uh, what's her name, Alia Shawkat of Arrested Development fame, so maybe we'll get one of those jokes in. Maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And there is one other uh, actor who you will probably recognize, but I don't want to spoil it in case anyone hasn't seen it because it's a really awesome mm-hmm. one step above a cameo, I would say. Right. Kind of yes, thing. Yes, yes. And I appreciate your disclaimer, Billy, because yes, this, there's a good chance that we aren't always as glowing about someone's favorite film as they might be given that it's their favorite. However, I'm going to do a pretty a prediction that I'm not too worried about today and say that that won't be today. I've seen this mm-hmm. film twice and this is a really fucking good movie. This was always one of the ones that I thought of suggesting, but I just didn't because I'd seen it a couple times and I wanted to maybe do some ones that I hadn't seen or I hadn't sure. remembered as well. Like I remember this movie really well. Okay. And it and it only kind of like it it's it's again one of those movies that is right on the edge of horror versus thriller versus like violent drama kind of thing. Like, okay, but it is a really good example of a genre of horror you might call like gritty realism or violent realism kind of thing. It would be horrific to be in this situation, even though I'll just like it. There's it's just people, right? Like this is just a right. a realism. No monsters. Yeah, no monsters, no, no demons. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's probably one of the reasons why I think it's so good and the acting is incredible mm-hmm. and the setting is pretty interesting and the it's just usually I'm pretty agnostic about what the two of you think about a movie that I've seen that you haven't seen going in but this time I'm uh, this will be the exception that proves the rule I suppose because I will be very surprised if the two of you don't really like this movie. So mm. that's my opening little gambit. I have heard nothing but positive things about this movie when it came out. It was touted pretty highly and and spoken very highly of in this like horror slash thriller sort of, you know, gray mm-hmm. area. And the I do know who the cameo that you, you mentioned we didn't spoil, but I, I do know who that is. And so it is a great surprise. And I can't wait to see how that looks on screen because I haven't seen this movie. I've only heard great things. I like Anton Yelchin quite a bit. Sad that he was taken off of our screens far too early mm-hmm. in his acting career. And I just yeah, I can't imagine, you know, what, what he could have gone on to do. But he was always very fun to watch on screen. And especially I know him from the... Uh, I'm blanking on the guy who did the Star Trek remake. What was his name? J.J. Abrams. Oh, my God. I almost lost all my nerd cred. Hey, question, question. (laughs) Billy, was that Chekhov's memory lapse? (laughs) 
<laughs> it must have been Chuck House memory loss. But yeah, I know him from there the most, and I I quite enjoyed him when 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 I saw him on occasion. So I'm excited to to have have a little bit of Anton Yelchin time and and everybody else. But Alex, what do you know about Green Room? Have you seen this one? Is this a new one for you? I haven't seen it in its entirety, but I've seen bits and pieces of it and i actually right, right, right. know like pretty much all about it so i don't think i can say much about it but mm. i will say that i am looking forward to finally seeing it in its entirety because it's kind of one of those movies that's always been like i should watch this but you know you never you never have the opportunity or the time or you know because mm-hmm. i'm a lazy piece of shit i'm just like nah i'm gonna watch <laughs> another three seasons of arrested development instead of watching things <laughs> right? that i wanted to watch that i yeah. haven't seen before so yeah We've- <laughs> we've all been in that situation where it's like a two-hour movie oh i can't do that but seven episodes of the office yeah yep yeah i mean yeah. like yeah. that's totally doable <laughs> so yeah so yeah i am really looking forward to this movie i think the setting and the premise of it is just is really interesting and kind of echoing what luke said it's it's all about just people which you know in reality is the true horror all along <laughs> so i think it'll be a good watch and i'm looking forward to finally seeing it and talking about it afterwards with the two of you yeah it's gonna be a good one and i can't wait to watch it we will spoil it once the once the trailer is finished so you'll hear the trailer next the listeners and then spoilers will be flying thick and fast so make sure you know that going in and as always check out the website does the dog die.com to find out any potential triggers any scary moments that you want to know beforehand so you're better able to enjoy the film but we'll catch up with you in just a second okay i'm with the eight rights from washington dc you guys are hard to find want to know social media presence the music is shared live it's time and aggression you gotta be there sorry guys gotta clear up follow me and then it's over. Holy shit. I told you to follow. Stop! Go! 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 You can't keep us here. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. We're so fucking dead, guys. What do we do? Oh, shit. This will be over soon, gentlemen. What are they doing? They're coming. Go ahead, Alex. Green Room is a 2015 American horror thriller film written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Starring Anton Yelchin, Joe Cole, Imogen Poots, and Patrick Stewart. The film focuses on a punk band who find themselves attacked by neo-Nazi skinheads after witnessing a murder at a remote club in the Pacific Northwest. First correction, Sir Patrick Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, Green Room. Oh boy. The moral of the story of Green Room is don't forget your phone or don't play in a bar full of Nazis. It's either one of those. I'm not sure which one. (laughs) Could be both. Could be. Could be both. Definitely not neither. (laughs) 
<laughs> Definitely not neither. No, Luke, you pick this one, and I know sometimes if you've wa- this is a movie that you like and you've seen before, you often want to delay your reaction. Would you like to do that on this viewing, or are you ready to dive in with your thoughts? No, I'm pretty confident that the two of you liked this overall, so I'm gonna just <laughs> jump right on in. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the third time that I've seen this, and it is very rewatchable. Hmm. So yes, to answer your later question, Billy, I will watch this movie again at some point in uh. my life. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This movie is is so good. It's so so and and maybe it's just so my kind of movie. But mm. it is tense and interesting and I think what I like about it over like the the number one thing that came to mind watching it is like how un stereotypical of a horror movie this is in that even though it's really gruesome and very violent it's not a spectacle violent movie like a lot of the kills Mm -hmm. are just kind of like out of nowhere and they're not kind of put up on a visual pedestal i'm thinking specifically of reese's death when he jumps out the window we see the guy stab him a whole bunch but we don't get like a close-up on the wound we don't get a close-up on the knife there isn't this kind of like look at this gratuitous violence we're throwing at your face it's just kind of like and and Again, not totally realistic, but it feels more realistic than like a slasher film does where you're just like, oh, death, guts, you know, like they're obviously making it some sort of visual cornucopia for your eyeballs. Where in this movie, mm-hmm. it's such terrible violence that you don't really see all of and you don't need to because you have the context of the general. It's it's a violent movie, but it's actually much more about the tension than about the kills, I think. And that's mm-hmm. and like even the end of the movie, the, the three guys that they have to kill at the end to basically finish it. It's just not a dramatic kind of thing. It's just like, shoot, done, shoot, done. And so I think in the first segment of this, I said this movie is gritty realism and like emphasis on the realism, I think, in it. And for all of those kind of like, I mean, we'll get into every little element of this, but I just, I liked this movie so much just because of how independent feel it had, but also with big name actors in it with just... Oh, man, Patrick Stewart's portrayal of this guy was so good. It's just so good. Like how he was like pragmatic about everything (laughs) kind of thing. And yeah, I just I'm going to gush about this film. I think it's so good. So that's my opening thoughts. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. I I agree. I think I have a lot of the same opinions as you. I, however, I think I might come down on the other side of will I watch this movie again, just because like some of the tension and the, the subject matter, I was just like, oh, I'm really glad I've seen this movie and now I can watch it and kind of cross it off the bucket mm. list. But I'm like, I, I might be good. I might be good to like <laughs> give this one a miss the next time it comes on. But but I'm really glad that I got to see it and the the scares and the horror elements being so surprising and so like right out of left field and almost unexpected like you expect something to happen but um, you expect something is going to happen because obviously these kids this band is like in capital t trouble from the minute they like (laughs) set foot in this bar (laughs) you know not even witnessing a murder like before you're like ooh, there's like a 30 percent chance like you're gonna die in this not a good vibe definitely not a good (laughs) not a good vibe Definitely, there was no, like, good vibes only stickers anywhere. <laughs> but the violence and the, the gore wasn't wasn't like a Saw, wasn't like a, a slasher movie in that you didn't see it. But, it, yeah, just, like, when Pat pulls his arm back after they fight over the gun, 
and you just sort of see that his arm has been like hacked to pieces, but you didn't see it getting hacked to pieces. You're just like, what the fuck just happened? What? Why is his arm all like that? And like, you just know they're in danger. I had a fun time watching it. I can't wait to talk with you two about it, but I do want to get Alex's thoughts before I just sort of ramble on. I can ramble later. So, <laughs> Alex? Yeah, I really like this movie. It was, it's good. It's, it's like original. It's interesting. It's well acted. I do want to thank Jeremy Salnier for showing me what the inside of a, you know, neo-Nazi skinhead bar looks like. I don't think I would ever have the opportunity in my life. So thank you for that. It's the little things. Now I know. Now I know. Hey, sure. Uh, Knowledge is power. Yeah. Oh, geez. I got to be careful how I say power in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this was, this is a good movie. It's, it's. It's super like tense, really thrilling throughout the whole thing. And even like when there's downtime, I'm I'm thinking the scene where Pat and Amber are just sitting on the couch talking. Even that that stuff is like usually when there's like downtime in horror movies, it's like, oh like I don't really care. Like, let's move on. But like mm-hmm. because these characters were compelling and, you know, well acted and it's it's this movie you know, for all it is, was quite believable as well. Like I do, I I was interested during those those pieces of downtime as well. Yeah, it was just it's just a solid movie where I'm interested the whole time, and it's it's a cool premise of it being. You see the title of this movie, you're like, well, I don't know what I expected. They spend like ninety percent of the movie in this in the green room, so that was neat. And yeah, it was good. That that's that's kind of just my initial thoughts. I really liked. It. Sure. Yeah. Like Candyman, it's good. It's good. It's just. It's, I guess it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love ending our thoughts strong here on the Nothing to Fear context context podcast. And we don't care who knows it. I'm good at this. Trust me, everybody. I'm really good. So yeah, let's talk about maybe the the band members that we meet because they're they're the protagonists. We follow them through parts of the movie up to certain points for all of them. Spoiler alert: There's a lot of people that die pretty much all throughout this movie mm. as soon as they get into the the nazi bar but yeah let's talk about let's talk about the band and our protagonist so does anybody know what all the names are because i don't think i got mm-hmm. them all i know there was pat one of them was named tiger i think the singer who was singer the yeah. singer he was the one with the green hair mm-hmm. no drummer was reese who had the green hair no drummer was reese who could do the wrestling moves and the goatee. Oh, right. Tiger okay, was the singer right. with and the green hair. Oh, Tiger was and the then... singer with the green hair? That's right. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, no. I think Tiger was the green hair one. And then Pat was Anton Yelchin, who gets his arm cut off. What did he play? He played guitar? No, okay. he was he was the bass player. And then Sam, uh, alias Shawcat, was the guitar player. Was the guitar player. Thank you. So we can officially say we know about Ain't Right because we can name the bass player. Aren't Rights? <laughs> I thought it was Aren't Rights. Aren't Rights? <laughs> Rights? pretty close to alt rights. i have to say yeah that is funny that is funny because it is kind of like it's so annoying <laughs> to just like have someone put your band name on a marquee but um get it wrong <laughs> like it's just so so stupid i i have a good friend from korea whose last name is thompson with no p but always on music posters they'd say thompson Thompson? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, uh, come on. It's like, it's not my band name. You had one job. It's like, yeah, playing maker. here live tonight, The Walking Stones, everybody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's an acoustic. It's acoustic. Completely, <laughs> completely changes it. So yeah, how did you, uh, 
let, give us your thoughts on the band, the the fearsome foursome, the aren't rights, the ain't rights. Who? How do we like them as they're portrayed in the first act of the movie? Mm-hmm. Luke, great. I think I think this movie did such a good job of like introducing us to the four of them and kind of making it sent like how they're living, what they feel like. They're kind of you know touring in their van, the kind of stereotypical band that's just making no money and having fun believes in their music kind of thing savvy type of people who are just love music definitely reminded me of people i knew back when i was more involved with music playing it than i am right now so i really enjoyed that and i really liked that even though anton yelchin and alia shakat are way more famous in real life like it kind of felt like all four of them had a presence in the movie obviously by the end it's just the two of them and then only Anton Yelchin <laughs> left of course because he was the marquee name but I still felt like the actors who played Tiger and Reese were great and were like super important to the plot along the way so yeah it was it was just they were very compelling yeah yeah what about you Alex how'd you like the band they're cool I think Reese was probably my favorite band member big wrestler it seems and kind of <laughs> knew what to do I would say my least favorite band member is probably Sam and this this is going to be my biggest critique of the movie when they leave the green room the first time or when they like leave it to to escape as a group and then she goes i think we should split up i'm like are you fucking kidding me this movie is so good until this one line and it like this one line is my biggest problem with this movie like don't fucking say that like nobody's thinking it nobody nobody expects it don't right? say it for the sake of saying it i was annoyed at that don't don't what did fucking you think say this that. was cabin in the woods come yeah. on <laughs> oh my god i was so like annoyed when that line was uttered like this would have been an almost perfect movie for me if it wasn't for that mm. one. but yeah, yeah back to the band members yeah it's cool they have like fine dynamic and like i think the way that these characters are kind of introduced is cool because like i wouldn't say like the exposition part of these characters is kind of done in that interview which i thought was a, a good way of doing it it's not yeah. just like, hello, my name is blank without any reason. It's <laughs> they're given a reason to do all that. And that I th- I really like that interview scene at the start with what's his name? Tad. 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 Right. Like a tadpole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just a tad. Yeah, and, it, and it just gave it like a sense of believability that they've been on the road for a while. They know how to siphon gas and they have a bike in their van. So they clearly <laughs> have done this many times. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the lifestyle. And yeah. It was good character development, but it was a lot of show and not tell. And the, the parts that they did tell was like, yeah, this makes sense. It's They're doing an interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked how they portrayed them as this like this band at the crossroads of, you know, they're not super famous. So they don't have a lot of money. So they're living rough. They're living in there, living out of their van for the most part. When they're introduced, the van has gone off the road in a cornfield because the driver fell asleep, presumably from either driving under the influence or being like too tired to stay up properly after a gig or something. And like they're they're living rough They're They don't have the high life. And you also get the sense that they don't want the high life, really. Like they don't want it to be like super famous where they're staying in hotel rooms and, and fancy jets. Like they kind of have this idea of oh, well, punk music's all about the music and it's about, it's not about making money, it's about doing it for the the craft. And there's like this interesting fine line about people who are like performing something 
as their job, but like warring it between their integrity and like the fear of selling out. Because I think Pat talks about it when they're doing the interview when he's like, Hey, how come you don't, how come you guys don't have a social media presence? Like you don't have any way to get in contact with you. And he gives that little speech about how music should be like felt in the room and live. And as soon as you like, mass produce it or market it then it like loses something which was kind of it was a little bit like self-aggrandizing like wanky a little bit about like Hmm. oh okay i'm a real i'm a real musician i don't care if anyone listens to my music but it like paints this picture of them being in this desperate situation right like horror movies always have some way for the the people in them to be in this situation and like yeah you don't have <laughs> you don't have enough of a presence to book a real good venue so you're playing a noon set at a mexican restaurant and then you're playing an <laughs> afternoon like 1 p.m. set at a skinhead bar like yeah. yes you're in a dangerous situation <laughs> and you're doing it for the music so that's great but like i don't know maybe just if you had a Facebook, maybe it's a little bit easier. You know Do what you I mean? think that was also another way to explain why out of the four band members, only one of them had a phone? Yeah, or I think they're just poor as hell. They could only afford one phone. Okay, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Right, because Sam pays the bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. There was that line at the start where like, it was either Reese or Tiger was like, I want to make a call. And then Sam goes to who? It's like, none of your business. It's like, well, I yeah. pay the bills. Okay, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, they only have one phone because they're that they're that poor. They're living like not even paycheck to paycheck, right? We see them siphoning gas and having to take gigs anywhere and just sort of like meet up. Like the sketchiest thing they get into at this in the start when they meet Ted, he's like, "Okay, make sure you park around the back and back your doors right into the wall, otherwise someone will steal your shit." So like they are mm-hmm. not living the high life at all (laughs) and then they would have done really well in tron because they were way off the grid (laughs) (laughs) they would have they would have they went way off the grid so yeah the the whole showing and not telling of the x of the or yeah showing and not telling of the exposition of them was really well done i thought it was like just a cool way to like introduce us to the band it had one of your favorite shots luke the overhead shot of the car on a windy road with Mm -hmm. forest on either side i was like oh Luke's gonna Luke's gonna be digging that <laughs> and one of my favorite bits from the first act actually was the cut when they get to Tad's apartment and Pat is like I'm going to bed and they put the record on and it does like the count in the first word of the song and then it cuts to the record like having <laughs> elapsed I thought that was a really cool like yeah. day night transition where it's like yeah they listen to music they partied but we don't get to see that and we don't need to like we get everything <laughs> we need from the start of the record to it just like spinning on Billy, the record player. Punk songs are real short. Are they? <laughs> yes. I don't know. <laughs> They're the shortest. Oh, you think songs. that was the whole that was the whole record? We actually listened to the whole song. Yeah, what a good song. Ah, <laughs> oh, great song. So good. Yeah, and then I liked when when Tad comes back. It's like, oh, you, Pat, you were the first one to fall asleep. It's like what? <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. He's got shit all over him. Yeah, and then they get this gig. So they get this gig with Tad's cousin. Mm-hmm. Daniel. Cousin Dan. Daniel. Cousin Daniel. Not yeah. Dan. Not Daniel. Daniel. And they go to this bar that I don't even think has a name. They're just like, there's no there's no way to get to this bar. It's $350. Europe, first or second, and in and out, no problem. And then that's when, like, that's when I'd say the movie starts properly, is when they play their set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the, you know uh, what? The like, Nazi the setting bar. of it is just so appropriate. Like, you can't set this movie anywhere else other than, you know, around the rural areas of Portland, right? It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't work as well for, you know, for the presence. 
No, it doesn't work. Like, it wouldn't work if this was in a major city, like in a big city center. It wouldn't work because you need the idea that this Well, not in 2015. Not in 2015. Uh, No, (laughs) not in 2015. Maybe. maybe I bet in 2021 you could set this movie in Portland, right? (laughs) Yeah, this movie actually took place on January 5th, 2021, and then they all had somewhere to be the next day. But, like, you need the isolation. You need the place where this, like, white supremacist Nazis can be because they are off the grid they are hiding and it's scary to think that like these types of places could exist like just off a dirt road all of a sudden there's like a bar nobody knows about and it's fronted by patrick stewart's character darcy who is this oh he's just like this this very archetypical businessman evil that was popular around that time like he reminded me so much of gus fring from breaking bad Mm -hmm. right like He's all business. He knows how to keep a low profile. He has people who do the dirty work for him so he can keep his hands clean and like keep the money flowing so this place can exist. But like you get the idea that he's somewhat a- above it all and he knows how to, you know, maintain a-, a facade of like a legitimate business while there's just this like bar full of Nazis all the time. And even more than that, he's just using them. Like he's using their right. ideology and he's using their like immaturity and youth and energy like the nazi youth type thing to sell heroin right like he's right i mean we can't know for sure i think he's much less ideological than the people that he's around and even in the when the band sang that nazi punk song which was great to start (laughs) it i had the subtitles on so i could actually hear what he was or read what he was singing and it's like there's a line like when the fourth reich comes it's going to be led by politicians cops businessmen and they're just going to use you (laughs) and so like that's kind of what happens in this movie is that Mm -hmm. these kind of red lace people the true believers the two twins that stab to get the cops away that kind of thing like the the, all of that edifice is just there so that his heroin business doesn't get discovered like that's why it was it wasn't about the murder or cow catcher or whatever i mean like I just I interpreted almost everything that Patrick Stewart did in this movie as manipulative of someone to protect his business. And the easiest way to manipulate these people was this was their white supremacist ideology. I think, Luke, you can correct me if you're wrong, of course, but that like (laughs) I can correct you if I'm wrong. You can correct me. You can correct me if you're wrong. But if I'm wrong, you can't correct me. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Got it. Sorry. No, that's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. This group of individuals out in the woods, these white supremacists, these alt-right, these, this group of people would be there anyway. And you're saying that Patrick Stewart's character Darcy was like, hey, this is actually a great shell to put my, put around my heroin business because everyone's going to be looking at the, the Nazis and the skinheads and like be worried about that. And I can just do something like even worse, mm-hmm. the heroin trade underground, like literally underground under this green room because everyone's going to be like it's like a sleight of hand thing almost where it's like everyone look over here look at all these oh these nazis are in trouble like we're going to look at you we're going to break up your fights we're going to throw you in lockup for a couple days or whatever but nobody's going to like bother to look underneath the ground where all the the drugs are being made and kept Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i mean this is a completely different podcast and it goes back to many different like sources and the history of philosophy of leadership kind of thing but i think plato writes about how um Pareto, i think the scholar's name was just like the 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 tyrant or the the cynical leader the great discovery of those people is not to oppose the emotions of the masses but to use them mm-hmm, and so right. and so um so like whether or not patrick stewart or or darcy 
the character Darcy, whether or not he's also an ideological white supremacist, it's kind of not really the point. The point mm-hmm. is that he has a business operation, kind of like Hans Gruber from Die Hard, right? <laughs> At first, he's this ideological terrorist. No, he's just a thief, right? He just wants money. <laughs> Often, and then prob- he'll be on a beach making 20%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Darcy has business interests that are illegal, that are wrapped up under this umbrella and this is how he gets an army basically where he Mm -hmm. maybe gives them some money but really what he's giving them is some sort of prestige in their fucked up culture and Mm -hmm. he's using that like why would these young guys help him out of this situation if it wasn't for their ideology and they look up to him it's kind of like even a much more direct comparison in the film american history x that Cameron guy, he's like the, the head skinhead in American History X, and he's the guy that, spoilers for American History X, that Derek Ed Norton's character ends up killing in the end, or fighting, I think. But, like, he sees through the bullshit, because in that movie, Cameron is just another businessman who's making money off of this kind of thing. So I thought that that was an interesting meditation on cynical business leadership. Basically, I just see Darcy manipulating every single person in this movie for his own gain. Mm-hmm. I I just he was he was such a dynamic character and and obviously Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. played him so well he was he was compelling. Yeah, but you you can see the parallel between him and someone like Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, right? yeah, like... yeah, for sure. Oh for sure, yeah, yeah. For those of you that have not seen Breaking Bad, for sure, yeah. Have you not seen Breaking Bad, Alan? No, I don't care for it. <laughs> really? Damn. Yeah, I'll tell you that right now. And I don't care who knows. All right. Well, you know what? Okay, that's fine. We're not going to pressure you into watching Breaking Bad, but watch Breaking Bad. It's really good. <laughs> no, you don't have to. You don't want to. But the way he comes in and has this like facade of, you know, as soon as the boss comes down, like they've painted him as this boogeyman type or this real hard ass type where they're like, the boss really cares about the fire code. Like, don't make make sure your shit's not in the hallway. Everything's going to be like above board, you know, or as above board as you can getting paid under the table for a, a gig that you like aren't on any record books for i kind of lost my train of thought oh no well that's Scott. a good example lost of why Scott. darcy was so cynical about all this mm-hmm. is that please on we have this idea that he really cares about the fire code but he only really cares about the fire code because he doesn't want anybody snooping around where his heroin is right <laughs> right yeah. and the best way to have that not happen is to not have fire code violations that might get people snooping around the same thing even worse like he tells all of these hmm. jackboot motherfuckers that we don't betray Worm. He's one of ours. Well, no, he would have betrayed him in a second. It's just that this is where the heroin is, so we can't have anybody around here, right? Like, Well, he did betray him. He killed him. No, no, Worm was the guy that killed the girl originally. Emily? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then he gave him the poisoned heroin, and you can see him OD'd at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, okay. So, yeah, he... So, yeah, so he did kill him. Yeah, yeah, right, he did kill him. So he doesn't... So, but he's lying, right? Yeah, yeah so yeah, he's yeah. playing to the emotions, like, we don't betray him, but, like, ultimately, he does betray him, because that's what serves yeah. his, like, Good end point. purpose. Good point. So, yeah, like, I just... It, it was such a, a sophisticated portrayal of a villain, I thought. Yeah, and I really like the... The people that he surrounded himself with and the, the people that were like the red laces. And I, I say I really like them not because I liked them, because I, I didn't. They're Nazis. I, I categorically do not like them. But the idea <laughs> I, and the... the fa- I really hope our listeners don't get that confusion. <laughs> Please don't. But the fact that they're all like very, very typical of like a type of person, right? It's like these these young 
disenfranchised angry white kids that uh, will glom onto anything that like gives them a structure and gives them a leadership and it was really really evidenced in the character of jonathan who whenever he spoke he sounded really young like it sounded like he was maybe a teenager like he was a bit bigger and and stronger but like just any of the dialogue he had i was like oh this is like a little child talking like he sounded like he couldn't have been much older than 20 and i was just like yeah this is the exact type of person that will do anything for a charismatic leader and we see darcy being a charismatic leader who's you know when the power comes back on he's like hey we got to cancel the show but everyone tomorrow drinks are on us and no cover charge and like you know everyone's like hooray this guy's the best and so like of course there's these people who are willing to to follow him and i just thought it was very interesting in the way that that jonathan and and the the twins they looked like they were maybe in their late teens these like scrawny little Mm -hmm. kids who are just like looking to be like noticed by the person they look up to right Mm -hmm. you know and they're like it's like hey we need somebody who's gonna do something for us by the way that thing is get stabbed so the cops leave us alone like if you know the fact that darcy's able to talk somebody into getting stabbed with a knife and going to jail (laughs) is like oh this guy can charm anybody well one last literary point on this point occurred to me and i know it's not exactly about nazis but in animal farm which is more specifically about Mm. the soviet union while the ideological snowball is trying to make the farm better for the animals napoleon the tyrant takes the puppies and then comes back when they're bloodthirsty dogs who still don't know anything about the world and that's an obvious metaphor for like how the Darcy's of the world, let's say, take the young who don't know anything but mm-hmm. have all the muscle and the and the get up and go and, and all that. And I thought that occurred to me because of the dog in this movie was a good reminder of how Napoleon and Stalin, let's say, or Darcy, <laughs> these motherfuckers are not ideological. They're just power hungry and they mm. will use whatever they need and they know deep down the best thing the best thing for forwarding your own agenda is stupid young men. <laughs> That's who you need, right. you know. Yeah, they've got a lot of muscle, and they don't have. They have. Uh, they have like a vested interest in not questioning what the status quo is mm-hmm. because because they get prestige. They are Napoleon the who, gives all the dogs yeah. prestige in yeah. Animal Farm, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a nice literary parallel. <laughs> and the dog in this movie, which was you know a pit bull, the the like classic ooh scary dog type but and yes trained to bite the throats out of people and kill people so like it's been trained to do horrible things but we get to see the dog be like this like sweet little angel at the end when he like crawls back to clark Mm -hmm. and just sort of rests with him and you know i it's like i'm mad that somebody took the took this dog and trained them to be monstrous and to kill and and the dog doesn't know any better it's just a dog and he's just just wants to be with his owner it's it reminded me a little bit of the rancor scene in Mm, return of the jedi where it's like yeah the rancor is big and scary but when it dies his like friend his owner is like (laughs) so i was like oh i'm glad the dog didn't die but i'm sad that they trained it to be so mean because pit bulls are really sweet like they're very sweet dogs (laughs) and maybe we can like extend this metaphor to its exhaustive conclusion is that this angry vicious dog or even maybe some of these lost young ideological men are really just like helpless and and destitute and want to just lie down and 
be protected or or like have some goodness still in them somewhere but it's just been warped and put on Mm -hmm. like we don't want to give up on that dog at the end right we don't it's just been so bastardized by cynical fucks like darcy and clark so the lesson is we don't give up on the young impressionable skinhead right well i mean it sounds kind of cheesy when you say it that way but i will note that there's this guy in the u.s named daryl davis who is a black musician who has deconverted like approximately 200 ku klux klan members just by talking to them Mm. just by going to like people who've given up their robes because they made a friend who was of the out group and just talked to him yeah so it's like yeah no like if you if we phrase it as like (laughs) Poor skinhead. You've inspired no. me, Luke. I'm going to go to every <laughs> skinhead bar that I can find. That's not what I'm Hit saying. Alex, I, that's not what I I'm saying. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm saying that people can be deconverted from mm. really hardcore ideologies if humanity is present. And I think that that's like a hopeful idea, you know? Yeah. And I think we see that in the movie a little bit because of like none of the attack group, like none of the red laces that are in this movie. Really, we get to see them redeemed because they're all summarily killed throughout the the course of the movie or run off. And we see the ones that I guess get the most violent deaths almost are those kids like, you know, Pat Machete's one in the neck and Mm -hmm. the, the Jonathan in the basement like that whole like that's a very gruesome like way to go. But they managed to, like, very easily convert a couple people onto their side. Like, Cousin Dan, like, he comes in Mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to get killed. And so, like, I'm on your side now. And then even Gabe, when they, you know, when he comes in, he's just, like, cleaning up and they're still alive. And he's just like, oh, I'm on your side now. And it's just like how quickly they they turn coat really right you know when when the, the power isn't there. Like, when Darcy's not there to threaten and beat up people how quickly they're like okay well i'll go with you now and it's just like yeah these this type of person who is like swayed into this Mm -hmm. extremist ideology kind of think like yeah you could be swayed the other way just by having a conversation with somebody else and they i don't know maybe it's not explicitly done in that in the movie but Mm -hmm. it just seemed weird how that happened like a couple times where they're like okay go in there and kill them and now i'm on your side Mm -hmm. and then well they get killed and and that's what one of the things that i think is so compelling about this film as a narrative is how at the beginning like when the when the first murder first happens and you know like worm has killed emily big justin and gabe have done everything they can to make sure that our protagonists don't find out about it and can leave safely right like it the the goal wasn't to kill these four like these people in the band originally they Mm -hmm. saw what happened they moved all of their stuff out into there they thought they had locked the door or big justin had told one of the guys in the other band to lock the door so that they wouldn't have known like it, the the thing that's interesting is that they, this context shifted and slid in a way that was not intended by at least Gabe and Big Justin, who were like the two decision makers on the bad side at the beginning. And even Big Justin, even though he became like really ornery and angry at the very start, I was like, he doesn't really want to hurt these people. But now they have like mm-hmm. now they're in a different situation. And so I think Gabe's change of heart is quite realistic at the end because he didn't want to do this in the first place and they obviously worked hard to try and forego it originally and just right. through the fact that sam didn't take her goddamn phone with her <laughs> this is what happened right 
So <laughs> you gotta keep your phone on. I, you, I, I thought that was a keep really interesting narrative choice in that the villains of this movie didn't want to hurt them at first. Yeah, like they don't. They clearly don't want to do that. They have protocols for pretty much any. It seems like this is the type of place that has a protocol to get authority away from the place as quick as possible, right? Like you know, paying the two kids to like stab each other because a nine one one call had gone out to report a stabbing they're like okay so we have like a you know a stabbing protocol here we go attention's off us the heroin operation is safe mm-hmm. oh my god worm just killed this emily chick and okay so let yeah let's get them out of here we don't want them to expose what's going on and like because darcy's gonna be mad and i i got the feeling that big justin and maybe even gabe or cousin Dan, like I feel like the people that knew about the heroin operation in the basement was even less than the people who like knew that a murder happened. Like mm-hmm. it felt like maybe only Darcy himself and Clark, yeah. who owned the bar, would have known about it. But everybody else is like, yeah, like even they don't know about it because if something happens or they get picked up or something, then mm-hmm. they can tell about it, right? And I just in the those scenes were so good because it was just like, oh. The gun is in this hand. Now it's in this hand. Now we got the box cutter. Oh, but now we got him. Like, it just, it was like things were shifting every minute in this movie of like the balance of what to do based on who has a weapon, even. Mm-hmm. I, I just found all of that so, so compelling because Darcy just kept trying to account for what the score was at every given moment. And so were the bands. There was like a mental like, okay, who's got the leverage here all the time? And it mm-hmm. was, it was just... That added such great tension to this film. Let's talk about the actual kills and the the horror <laughs> stuff of this movie, because the ideological horror of this movie and the so, 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 social horror of this movie is, <laughs> is very saturated. But there is quite a bit of blood and guts in this movie that you're right. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Luke, that it's not glamorized. You don't see it, but it was fucking gross in this movie when mm. when they are trying to give the gun to Darcy and... Amber sees that there's like these other people in the hallway with the red laces that are going to kill it. And they're, they're only going to use blades and fangs. I think Darcy says only blade, blades and fangs for them. We don't even see Pat get his arm like hacked by machetes when it's, you when it's outside the door and when he pulls it back, that's like the first time you see all the blood and all the guts. I think maybe they Reese is choking out big Justin and then he gets like, and then big Justin gets cut with the box cutter by Amber that like when that part happened in the movie, I was just like, Oh, this movie just like jumped up 11,000 notches. (laughs) So (laughs) it was super gross. What did, what did you, what did you make of those sorts of scene, Alex, when they happened? Yeah, it was like really gratuitous, but I think that's kind of the point. It adds to it. And it's just gross. Like, I don't want to see any of that shit. So I'm glad they didn't linger on it very long. But I I mean, just like the shock of seeing it kind of off angle and for a split second and knowing that when they when they duct taped his arm afterwards, like knowing that that was what was underneath it. It's just it adds to the sense of urgency, I think, to it all. And yeah, like kind of what you said, Luke, it's 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 gritty, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's none of it is glamorous. None of it is a spectacle. But it's like it's just gross. It's gross and painful mm-hmm. is what it is. And it was effective because, you know, after the first part with 
with Pat's arm, you you know what these people are capable of doing and then you also know you're kind of like oh this is what the director is capable of showing us as well so you're, you're kind of <laughs> yeah. just bracing yourself for the next gross part and next gross part and there's there's a it's lot true, of it yeah. like between between the dogs mauling people and like gunshots and 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 other sharp objects and you know it was all improvised dirty stuff as well right like outside of the guns there was like pipes and i don't know light bulbs and pipe cleaners and i don't know <laughs> yeah pipe cleaners yeah <laughs> probably not pipe cleaners. <laughs> it was a crafty weapon yeah it, it's it's stuff that you would expect to see in a or it's stuff that you would like think would be in a skinhead bar right like there's gonna sure, be yeah. the one or two weapons that are kind of ruralized like there's their shotguns and then but then it, there's like where the fuck do you buy a machete where do you get a machete home depot I don't, people, I don't think so. I don't think like, they'd machetes be that are hard. weapons, right? Like those are probably illegal. I don't think I don't it'd know. be that hard to get a machete if you really. If I really you can get one. machetes, they they have uses that aren't for hacking through humans as much in, as we see them in. In America, though, like what kind of sugar cane are we cutting what, here in what? the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> What's different between a machete and an axe? Well, an axe chops wood. I don't think a machete chops. Wood. <laughs> machete Luke. chops branches. People get machete type knives for like bushwhacking yeah my dad has a bunch of machetes and like oh, okay. they're all for yeah he's got more than one machete <laughs> which is why i'm like oh yeah okay yeah 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 the the kills were gratuitous they were gross and what you did see of them really you're right alex showed us like oh this this director is willing to show us something like this so what else is on the table and as i think seeing somebody get like split up the belly the way that big justin dies is ooh, you're like oh okay this is a different movie than i thought maybe like this is this is willing to go to a a grosser extent and you know we see cousin dan get taken out with like a full shotgun blast to the face and you're just like oh that was ill-timed because he was telling them how to get out of there and then he got you know didn't even get his full sentence of how to get out done before he was taken out just rough luck and yeah it was it was well done, though. I thought the effects mm-hmm. were gross enough to, like, make me want to turn away. But by the time, like, my body was turning away, they were already off screen anyway. So you're kind of, like, transfixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't dwell on it, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. And it was all so messy. Like, like, all these kills are not done by anything representing professionalism. <laughs> and so, no. like, the only professional killer really was the dog. Everybody oh, else he was is amateur. He, he wasn't getting paid. No, he wasn't getting paid. He was the only competent one, though. Okay. So I think I need a little bit of help understanding sort of what happened to kick this all off because I was watching it pretty closely. And then as soon as they discover Emily's body in the room and he sees everything, then it gets all a little bit muddied. So Luke or Alex or both, because you've seen it more <laughs> often, sort of walk me through the series of events that led up to them like okay now now this band also has to die so what like what was up with worm so worm was in the other band Cowcatcher. Yes, and yeah and i guess worm suspected or knew that emily was defecting and so he stabbed her in the head probably on drugs probably on drugs okay fair 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 but like yeah. was was emily supposed to be like cheating on worm with cousin daniel was that i think and so. that they were gonna like 
defect together or mm-hmm. they were just like yeah they were gonna okay. leave during that one song and daniel had everything packed and it'd been referenced a couple times earlier one by tad i think saying his cousin and girlfriend were coming to stay with him and then right, right. when they showed up they mentioned the girl thing and daniel shut it down really fast because he didn't want any of the other skinheads to know that that was his plan and then i think we're just supposed to infer that mm-hmm. emily was either with worm or worm felt quite possessive of her and while he was high he killed her maybe because he found out i don't know like we don't know if worm found out we're just again supposed to infer that he probably did or he's just a homicidal killer which isn't also that difficult of a leap <laughs> for this film <laughs> And so then it's when a hop. A yeah, and then tiny hop. <laughs> Pat goes in to grab the phone before anyone can stop him who knows what went on in that room. And they didn't lock the door because, you know, Worm and Friend are presumably idiots. Actually, I think that's a pretty <laughs> safe assumption. So then when Pat sees it, Justin and Gabe are like, fuck, we can't oh, let man. them leave now because they know. And our whole plan was based on them not knowing. We're going to hold them here right, in right, stasis right. while now we have to call Darcy because this has just escalated. So that was like the whole them getting imprisoned in the green room. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then what was up with the what was up with the baseball bat in the trunk of the car? Those like Darcy was like this was supposed to go away mm. after the Easter Easter parade or So I I assume it was like a murder weapon mm-hmm. used in the past and it was wrapped up and i assume daniel was gonna like bring it to the authorities and use it as like like i'm turning in these people and i think it was worm too wasn't it like i think he was gonna use it against worm to Hmm. like take him out of the picture kind of thing yeah i don't know it was either it was either going to be a weapon to kill someone or i'm assuming it happened it was a weapon used in something in the past that was supposed to be disposed of, but then he recovered it and he's going to bring it to the authorities and yeah. be like, hey, I'm turning these people in if I can get whatever diplomatic and, immunity is or yeah, something like that. And Daniel yeah. Daniel even has a line where diplomatic he refers community. to himself as a traitor and oh, okay. just running away with a, a girl or a woman that you are wanting to date isn't, well, I mean, maybe in that community that would be considered betrayal or treachery, but like not mm-hmm. as much as turning in evidence to the cops would be treachery, I would think, <laughs> right? I feel so. like, yeah, stealing Worm's girlfriend is maybe less of a betrayal than turning in Darcy's entire, like, criminal operation. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it confirmed that Emily is Worm's girlfriend? No, That's not confirmed. Thought, We're I... inferring it by the fact in- that inferring. when uh. Worm must have found out that she was going to leave with him but even if not maybe he just killed her and maybe that was just a coincidence either way right it sounded like worm was say the least not a good dude outside of the murder either no so so there was something else that was planned about him i think i think daniel was planning on turning him in for a different reason well so and then Darcy says, like, Worm just saved us all with that line. So, like, when they find out the bat, I assume, like, the bat is connected to the, to the whole group, organization maybe, yeah. in some negative way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because, so, yeah, there's, like, evidence of history that we don't really get an explanation for in this movie. And it's, Which like... Which is cool, because it's not important to the plot, but it's, like, it's it's there because it's intriguing, and it keeps us thinking about and talking about the movie afterwards. Which is, like... Mm-hmm. I think this is what movies need to do more, right? Like, if if you if it's not like a super interesting 
or not interesting. It's not like a super important part to the plot and doesn't really affect it either way. Like having these little tidbits of backstory help create this more immersive world Mm -hmm. and help you kind of understand character motivations a little bit more. And then the throw off lines about like my cousin and his girlfriend are coming to stay with me and like him shutting that down later. Like it makes it a good movie because it makes it so everything's intentional right we talk about this in hereditary how like every every line is intentional outside of the fucking we should split up line in this movie i think (laughs) i think yeah everything was pretty intentional and it 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 gelled well and it 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 was like a nice knit it knitted well together is is that term yeah and i think it's a good knit i think so i think those things were predominantly in the film to demonstrate why darcy is the leader because he's the only villain or, or of that group that is seems to have the capacity to consider unintended consequences and things we've forgotten, which is a, a sign of high intelligence, is to be able to right. consider things that haven't happened or could happen as well as what is happened. Obviously, the literal-mindedness of the Nazi punks is not going to make for like good innovative thinking when what are we forgetting, right? And so it's there's like two or three times in a movie... Where Darcy's like, hmm, maybe this isn't what I thought. I need to double check or do my due diligence, right? Like, what did we forget? Oh, yeah, the shotgun under the bar that Daniel knows about. Hmm, something's not... You said Daniel wasn't going to be at the door? Maybe I should just check his trunk, just in case. We don't know, right? It's only Daniel... or It's only Darcy who has the wherewithal to even consider these things in the movie, which, again, I just think adds to his character as this, like, tyrannical, draconian cynic who... But mm-hmm. but has the underlying intelligence to rise to that level anyway. He certainly knows how to think about the things that his minions are not going to be able to think about. Yeah, and we see him like put it together that you know he he goes through the band's bus right the little van and he finds the bike and he finds the siphoning equipment. He's like, oh, we can use this. Mm-hmm. Here is what we'll do. We'll we'll make it look like because now. They've seen something, they see too much, they have to be taken off the list of people who know what's what and to keep his, you know, heroin business secure. And so he's going to stage it as this, they they tried to break into a no trespassing place to siphon some gas and they got killed as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he puts all the pieces together. We see him like, oh, they've got siphoning. Does your property have a no trespassing sign? It, no, but it has a beware of dog sign. Oh, mm-hmm. even better. Like this is... You know, this fits this fits a scenario I can do. And he can he can make a plan out of these disparate elements that he wasn't expecting. He's like, oh, I can work with anything you give me. Mm-hmm. I can figure out a way to spin it to cover my tracks or to be advantageous for me in some way. And yeah, he's just like a pure evil <laughs> cynic, as you well, keep saying. <laughs> it's like a real, real mega mind, you know? Yeah. Like instead well, of the cartoonish part of it, it's it's super like... It's so well thought out and planned. Like when they ask, like, what are the rules? It's like, yeah, you can like cut them, but like don't hit the bone because if you hit the bone, it makes it doesn't make it look like dog bites or trespassers. Like makes Mm. it look more, I don't know. Like, yeah, just thinking about all those little details makes Mm -hmm. makes Darcy such a, dare I say it, a sinister character. (laughs) Well, Billy, I'm glad you did that one. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up Gus earlier because now I'm also thinking Darcy reminds me a little bit of Walter White. And maybe the baldness mm. helps, but not. I don't want to spoil any details. But the end, of, the last couple episodes of season four of Breaking Bad are basically Walter White 
several steps behind the eight ball in comparison to Gus, and it looks inevitable that Walter is going to be the one that's killed. And I guess spoilers here for season four of Breaking Bad, so not too detailed. Alex, pull yours. Walter, I'm not gonna watch Walter it, wins. Care. Walter wins, and Gus loses. Oh shit! No way he wins. And it's <laughs> how only, many seasons were there? And it's only six, five seasons. Six seasons. Five. I cannot believe Walter six, White gets to the end of fifth se- the fifth season. Well, uh, that's crazy. El Camino is the mo- is the season that is a movie. Oh sure, <laughs> there, that's the sixth season. <laughs> anyway, the only reason Walter White is able to do this is because he can outthink Gus, and Gus is right. a good thinker, and Walter White still outthinks him, and Darcy in this movie can outthink anyone around him, which is why he's the boss, I guess. Right. Do we have anything else? Hey, I wrote a lot of notes, but I don't really know. It's another movie I don't really know how to talk around because of, you know, because the plot is pretty simple. And knowing that, knowing why. I guess my question about why did Worm do this? Why did Emily have to like die? What was that whole thing is immaterial because it really just boils down to what if this band was in the wrong place at the wrong time, like the Mm -hmm. worst place at the absolute worst time. (laughs) And they don't need to know why they're being killed because it's like, well, doesn't really matter because I'm going to kill you if I get you. Like (laughs) they 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 rolled four natty ones in the leaving the neo-Nazi compound. Oh shit! Uh, natural one. I will uh, say it. that yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm just thinking as I'm speaking. But I I did like how this movie didn't really focus on the fact that these villains were neo Nazis. Mm-hmm. You know, like that ideology never really came up in their motivation for doing what they did. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I enjoyed that because it's so easy to write like your villain as oh they're neo-nazis and they're gonna do these bad things because they're neo-nazis and you know they're really pushing their ideology forward but really their motivation was we just like these people that came to play a show at our place saw a murder and we don't want them to tell people like mm-hmm. the neo-nazi bit had nothing to do with any of that it was win- it was window I, I quite like yeah and i, I quite like that because like it didn't make these villains really one-dimensional like oh we're supposed to like do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're supposed mm-hmm. to dislike them because of this, but this thing didn't really have an impact on why they were doing it. It's almost another sort of sleight of hand or, or distraction where it's like, of course, you're in this green room that is covered with scrawled swastikas and a Confederate flag and like alt-right tokens and symbolism like all over the place where you're like, oh, the like scariest thing that could possibly happen is that a Nazi is here with me and then like the actual scariest thing that happens is they saw a murder and now they're gonna die and i think that like it's it's almost a misdirect where it's Mm -hmm. like yeah you're gonna be so focused on the fact that these ideological skinheads are around you and like what are they gonna say are they gonna do something are they gonna say something that you don't notice the like bigger evil which is the woman with like a knife in her brain or even you know the fact that there's a heroin plant in the basement i don't know it's heroin made in plants factory processing Mm. center warehouse i don't know whatever yeah (laughs) i feel like you could have really replaced like obviously it would have been a different movie but like you could have replaced neo-nazi skinheads with regular rural folk that (laughs) 
yeah, it could have been made a heroin thing. and used a rural bar as a cover up, and it would have been like sure. could have been but any it, cult. It's kind of like yeah, it, it's kind of like the it's the fear of hearing neo Nazi skinhead that sticks with you in your mind, but it's still like. Yeah. Like, even in the plot synopsis that I read, it's like, they find themselves attacked by neo-Nazi skinheads after witnessing a murder at a remote club in the Pacific Northwest. Like, I think, I feel like that's the part that helps draw people into this movie, Mm. but then it doesn't really become important, which I quite liked because the point of this movie wasn't neo-Nazi skinheads. Mm -hmm. The point was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. My, my, the neo-Nazi element of this to me is just a broader sociological insight in that every belief system that has true believers, that has zealots, that has people who, who are, you know, willing to be violent or even die for it is gameable by a cynical actor. And in fact, my contention would be that's all that's ever happened throughout every single era of human history. At some point, the priests running the Catholic Church selling indulgences for the church to people to get into heaven are laughing their way to the bank once they're away from the congregation. The movie The Death of Stalin, these people are just like <laughs> masturbatory in their own like self-importance that has nothing to do with the ideological communists that they're in charge of. Hitler might actually be an interesting exception to this because it it seems like he was a true believer to the end, which is why he ordered basically the death of every German citizen rather than give up kind of thing. So like that's, yeah, you know, we can gradate different levels of like human degradation, but the sociological insight is like, of course, the neo-Nazi movement is going to be gamed by the Darcy's of the world because that's actually what's happened always throughout history for mass movements is that power abhors a vacuum and it's going to be taken over by the one who is the most self-interested because that's kind of stable in a way that's really fucked up. Yeah. So like it's a sociological insight for me is the neo-Nazi setting of this more than, yeah, you're right, part of the narrative, Alex. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't know, this is just thought, but like I wonder if an actual neo-Nazi skinhead were to watch this movie, if they'd be like, this was a good movie because it doesn't glamorize that ideology but it doesn't villainize it either right it really just wasn't the point of this movie it was it was just like a set piece do you know what i mean yeah it was like a costume yeah best case scenario a neo-nazi watches this movie understands that there is some form of a darcy leading their group and becomes disillusioned with their hate-filled ideology and goes to try and live a more constructive life yes (laughs) let's hope (laughs) Let's hope. And if you are a neo-Nazi listening to this, please stop. We don't need you. <laughs> we don't need the downloads from neo-Nazis. <laughs> Not interested. Well, Not what if they listen to this and then they change their ways, Billy? This kind of goes back to what Luke was saying earlier. All they need is maybe a conversation. Again, best you know. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. All right. Well, change your ways and then you can download the next episode. If you are a neo-Nazi listening to this, think about other things. <laughs> Go to business school. Mm. Just see where that takes you. Stop being a Nazi. Everyone stop being Nazis. You're not allowed. Okay, Nazis aren't allowed. Any We take any you know thoughts? what? I'm impressed at the moral stances we take on this podcast. <laughs> We're not here for it. We don't we don't all do it. Alright. Final thoughts. Anything else you want to cover over or mention? I, I think I've alluded to it a few times, but I just want to really reiterate how impressive this movie is in its editing and in its direction because there's almost no moment of this movie 
where I feel like, oh yeah, that's a beat from a horror movie I recognize. It's like the mm. film the film work is really good, but there's a number of things that kind of like happen off screen that are important to the plot or like they're in the distance or they you don't get a good shot of it. It reminded me a little bit of Pie Wacket when we did Pie Wacket even though that's a completely different movie in its plot. Sure, sure, yeah. There was again I love this type of realism in a film that isn't just like this could happen in real life, but it's even filmed in a way that is almost a little bit more how you might be like experiencing it if you were in that moment if you are in like a haunted house or a, or a terrible moment you're not going to see everything up close right like you're not going to get like face shots of a death you're going to be like 15 feet away right like that's movies are so good at manipulating us because we get really unnatural views like you know it, it, this is completely out of context it's just interesting as a movie thing how many times in real life are you five inches away from someone's face when a dramatic moment happens to them like other than a partner it's almost never right like almost never it's so especially since covid especially yeah. since covid like yeah. I'm, I'm way back <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we have this illusion about movies where, like, we are watching people who don't watch us, and we don't have, like, a kind of intuitive physics around how it would actually be experienced by us. It's very heavily manipulated, and I thought this kind of movie, not 100%, but is a lot more realistic, even in how it might be experienced by us if we were in that scene, by having camera shots not be as unnatural in, like, human positioning to each other when stuff like this happens and i i just love that shit in movies that's the kind of like technical stuff i think is so up my alley when it comes to filmmaking Mm, i agree i agree yeah the the filming of this movie was was awesome it was very gross what you did see and it it made me feel like yeah i could have been there i could have been in the room as a fly on the wall and if i see somebody get their neck cut open by a box cutter i'm gonna be like ooh, blah, 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 see that cover and look away and and focus on something else and- <laughs> you mentioned saw earlier like saw like glorifies this gore elevates the music makes it just like a fucking spectacle that's disgusting and spectacles are okay sometimes but nothing in a saw movie is even a little bit like realism and i think <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's yeah. why green room is such a good contrast is like this is how you could make a realism based gore movie and sure i would submit this is a much superior take i agree alex got a final thought yeah what's everyone's desert island band <laughs> you go first uh, you've been thinking about it Um, a band named Marietta. Is that one word or two? One word. M-A-R-I-E-T-T-A. Marietta. That's a good one. How about you, Luke? Oh, this is easy. Jimmy Eat World all the way. (laughs) Of course. Of course. (laughs) I listen to them in the middle of the island. (laughs) It just takes some time to get there. Look, I got a reference. (laughs) All right. All right. I had to hang around you with uh, I had to re- hang around with you for up to five years before I started getting Jimmy Eat World references, but by gum I did it. <laughs> Although Jimmy Eat World would definitely not be allowed to play at this club given their acronym. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> and as for my band on the island, I guess I'll tell somebody who gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that really poots us in our place, Billy. Ah, <laughs> uh, in my 
gin. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my Desert Island Band movie... Band? Desert Island Band movie? Is that a genre? Should we do Desert Island Band movie? Oh, well, that one would be no, almost famous. <laughs> almost famous, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have a Desert Island Band, but I would probably say something... You know, basic like Taylor Swift, because I like Taylor Swift, mm. so that's what I'll say. Nice. I don't mind. Interesting I don't mind being basic. Taylor, one of Taylor Swift's favorite bands is Jimmy World. Hey, well, she's got great taste. <laughs> I agree. So, I will say as my final thought on this movie, I really enjoyed the scene at the end of, like, stereotypical punk with, like, a spiky mohawk does something mundane. Like, we just saw a shot of Ted vacuuming his apartment, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you know what? You can be a punk. You can love punk music. You can like have a rhinestone studded coat and a mohawk, but you're still going to keep your floors nice and clean. You're still going to vacuum. You can clean up after yourself. <laughs> and I just, I thought I like, I like that. We're tenants right. too. We're tenants too. <laughs> We're tenants too. <laughs> okay then, it's time, Luke. You got to kick us off with the scariest part of the movie. So take us, take us away. I think the scariest part would probably be like the just general. 30 seconds when pat and the band finds out that they're in a completely different situation <laughs> you know like it has rapidly gone bad in a way that was not expected and you have a much bigger problem on your hand than you originally thought i've always thought maybe there is a word but i've always thought there should be a word for the moment when you realize what you thought was a small problem is actually a very big problem mm, yes you're like <laughs> oh damn yeah. this is because that has happened enough a lot more time <laughs> Yeah, so I would say just that that general like oh shit moment that Pat expresses when he sees that knife in Emily's head. Yeah, he's just like ah, all right, Alex Wan, what is your scariest part of the entire movie? My scariest part of the entire movie is when Pat pulls his arm back from the door after giving up the gun and getting hacked at, and you see his arm and wrist area that was scary it was gross i didn't like it that was scary i'm really glad they taped it up so we didn't have to look at it for very much longer <laughs> that is not proper first aid by the way do not tape up well, what are you supposed to do in that situation i don't know put your shirt around it i don't know i don't know i would have girl. taped around a shirt yeah around a shirt at least anyway doesn't matter <laughs> he I, I was surprised he made we, it we should we shouldn't movie. be first aid shaming people <laughs> i guess they didn't have a first aid kit in the green room at the neo-nazi bar so <laughs> nor in their heroin den nor in their you know they should they did have a lot of fire extinguishers <laughs> which seemed to have a lot of charge for a fire extinguisher like she used it so many times <laughs> to yeah. like fire extinguish people my scariest part though was very close to the axe on the, uh, the not the axe the machetes to the arm but when amber cuts open big justin that like the movie just like completely shifts gears into this like oh fuck like this is horrifying and it was disgusting and like i was at that point i was just sort of like writing in my notebook kind of like paying like paying attention but you know just like chilling on the couch and then like when that happens i just like sat up straight and i was like oh fuck this movie is quite it, it it's it's in a higher gear now mm -hmm. so do you think there's a little part. justin I hope so. There's got to be a little Justin, right? If there's a big, why he would just be regular Justin if there wasn't a little Justin. <laughs> why do they call you Big Justin? <laughs> little Justin quit. I don't know. My shoes. Big Justin's packing. <laughs> I thought it Sorry. was David Harbor for a while until I looked it up, and it's not David Harbor. It's some other actor named mm -hmm. Eric. 
Maybe they call him Big Justin because it's funny to call someone BJ. Oh, that's funny. What does that stand for, Luke? Blue Jays. Blue like Jays, the yeah. baseball team in Toronto. That's it. That's all I can think of. Big Juggalos. <laughs> Bad Juggalos. <laughs> Bad Juggalos. Bad Juggalos. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's go ahead and rate this rate this one. And Luke, yeah, you picked it, so pick us a rating and give us your score. Well, as we all know, since alliteration alleviates angst, I think we need to rate this one out of five murder machetes. <laughs> so out of five murder machetes available yeah. at home depot not a sponsor yeah i love this film i think it's like pretty close to flawless yeah you're right the split up comment was kind of dumb and seems to kind of come out of nowhere but maybe she was just scared and so i'm willing to give a movie this good i can give the benefit of the doubt on to something as stupid as that and obviously sir patrick stewart can play a terrifying villain and so i'm <laughs> it's crazy to see that and just the performances were so good. The setting was compelling. I've seen it three times now, and I love it every bit as much now as I did the first time, maybe even more. Mm. And so I'm going to give this one 4.95 murder machetes out of five murder machetes. And the only wow. reason it doesn't get the full five, like Hereditary or Alien, is just because it's not quite as complicated a story as Hereditary is and Alien okay. being groundbreaking in its way. But I just, I do think it's almost flawless. So yeah, 4.95 murder machetes for me. Wonderful. 4.95. So you like this one and you'll see it again. You've already answered that question. I I enjoyed the movie. I think I said at that, the top that I liked it, but I don't know if I'd watch it a second time. And just like the, I know that it's like setting and set dressing, but some of the language in this movie, there's like they drop a hard R word and they drop the F, the F word, not the not the one that that's fuck because we can say that one, but the other one. So <laughs> there's a couple like language choices where I was just like, I get that they're bad guys, but maybe don't call people the R word. And so that one does lose some points for me, just because I I prefer not to hear that word and and yeah. So but it was well written. It was interesting there are some parts that i thought were quite humorous actually that i didn't really talk about but just the mm-hmm. scene of when they open the door to the green room and she throws the broken like fluorescent tube into this empty hallway <laughs> yeah. i kind of thought that was like it's just like she's just like Bleh! and <laughs> i was like oh that's kind of funny like yeah and it kind of eased off the tension a little bit because they changed the so, camera shot too because they show the hallway mm-hmm. so you just see this empty hallway with this light fly out <laughs> yeah it's just like smish yeah <laughs> Yeah, so for that reason, I enjoyed it. I won't watch it again, I don't think. But I'm going to give this one a 3.9 murder machetes out of 5. 3.9 for me. Over to you, Alex. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. I'm going to say everything that Luke said, except I'm going to dock off more points for the (laughs) we should split up comment because that was just fucking stupid. (laughs) So I'm going to give this movie a 4.85 out of 5 murder machetes. Full tenth of a point lower. Alex is a tough marker, but you know those Alex's eavesdrop moments of a film, they really take you out of it. <laughs> this movie was almost so good. Almost. <laughs> and then it just missed it with that one. I don't get it. Why was it? Okay, I'm not going to miss it by that much. Alrighty. Hey, listeners, Billy jumping in here to let you know that this week, Nothing to Fear is sponsored by our friends at Unclockable.com. Unclockable provides tucking kits for anybody who wishes to have a little bit more security when they go out and about. 
in their day-to-day lives, especially great for trans women like myself. The tuck kits that they provide are comfortable and easy to wear all day. And they have paired with us to give you an exclusive link and promo code to use for $9 off any 30 tuck kit. So if this is something you are interested in, head over to unclockable.com slash NTF and enter the promo code NTF at checkout for $9 off any 30 tuck kit. Shipping is free in the United States and Orders more than $125 will receive free shipping in Canada as well. So head on over to unclockable.com slash NTF and use promo code NTF for $9 off your order of any 30 tuck kit. Thanks, Unclockable. Back to the show. Folks, we've come to the end and we're ready to cheer something. So Luke Mason, you're mm-hmm. on deck again. What are we cheering? What are you cheering? I have a very, very, very exciting cheer today for... Ooh this sphere so for the first time in well since january today five minutes before we went recording so today is october 10th even though i know it'll be a lot later than that when you hear this (laughs) about five minutes today i posted episode 76 of really true fiction rtf is back the first new episode since january i recorded earlier this week with my cousin david and in anticipation of this december we did uh the matrix from 1999 ah, and okay, i kind of okay. can't believe we haven't done the matrix yet considering how like explicitly philosophical that movie is but it was great to be back at it so i am cheering the fact that in the credits when i talk about really true fiction it won't be nearly as stagnant <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome wow really true fiction back the uh, the naming convention of consonant tf podcasts is back again we've got rtf and ntf yeah and (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) nice 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 all right i'm cheering something school related and that is that i got i have to do a psychology research proposal for the final of my psych class we don't have to run the research trial because there's like you know getting ethical approval and clearing ethics boards takes longer than one semester so it's just like a hypothetical trial but i was able to choose my topic that i want to study and instead of picking one of the pre-made ones because they never really spoke to me i talked with my professor found out he loves horror movies Mm. found out that i can submit it as a podcast and so my research project is going to be can watching horror movies make you braver so i can't (laughs) wait to like design this research (laughs) and so oh man (laughs) art imitates life imitates school hey hey you know what i don't mind i need every every little extra bit of motivation to get through school that i can and why not do something that like i'm i'm interested in and so, so in a yeah. sense in a sense nothing to fear is your something to cheer <laughs> nothing to fear is my something to cheer <laughs> roll uh, credits ah yes. Uh, yes, yes 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 roll credits and that's it and remember folks there's nothing no alex <laughs> what are you cheering i'm going to cheer so i've been watching rewatching all the daniel craig bond movies this weekend mm-hmm. Thanksgiving long weekend, so of course, of course, that's also a cheer. But yeah, Casino Royale is such a good movie. That's that's my cheer. It's so good. Mm-hmm. You should watch it. So good. Everyone should watch it. Do you think it's the best one, or do you like Skyfall better? Like, are you, which camp are you in? It's hundred percent the best one. It's way better than Skyfall. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. Eva Green is in that Adele. One, right? Get out. Adele, get out. We got Chris Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Is that... Sorry, uh, look, I didn't hear what you said. That's the Eva Green one, right? Or was she Quantum? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, she was... Okay. Yeah. She, she was She was mentioned in Quantum. Yeah, she's great. I love Eva Green. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Awesome cheer. Awesome cheer, Alex. That will bring us to the end. And this is now... Now, Luke, you've been saying roll credits all day. <laughs> Now's the time to... Uh, talk? <laughs> Damn it, Luke. <laughs> You did exactly what I thought you would, which was <laughs> no but one of my bits. Anyway, no so but. yeah, it's time to do the credits. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in every week. Thank you, Luke and Alex. We are we could not do the show without all, all three of us and, and you two. So thank you so much for your time. And we definitely couldn't do the show without people listening to it. So thank you, everyone who listens. Please consider following us on social media. You can find us on Nothing to Fear Podcast on instagram find us on ntf pod on twitter you can email us nothing to fear podcast at gmail.com you can talk to me on instagram at billy by design i before e when spelling billy and there's underscores between the words and if you would like to support the show there's a number of ways to do that the easiest and freest way for you to do that is to leave us a rating and a review on the podcast app of your choice which helps people find us helps us go up in the charts helps all the good things but there are also a couple of financial ways you can support the show, one of which would be to check out tpublic.com and get some merch for Nothing to Fear, which is always a good way. But you can also join our Patreon, which we have at the low, low price of minimum $1 per month. You can join in and check out what we're doing on the Patreon, and all the money is going to help the show grow and reach new ears and get bigger and better. So those are ways to do that. And if you're enjoying this, you can also head over to Luke. And Luke, what what can they hear of yours? Obviously, really true fiction, but what else you got? (laughs) Yeah, so there's the Liberal Soul podcast I do, as well as really true fiction, which you can now listen to the newest episode, episode 76 on The Matrix. Holy moly. It's it's a Neo episode that we've just released. And uh, so Luke, this is episode seventy-five of Nothing to Fear. Did you yeah. just not want nothing to nothing to fear to catch up to you? And you're like, ah, oh, shit, I gotta go. <laughs> We're almost caught up to our idea. I I had no idea, so it wasn't a conscious decision. But you never know what that subconscious is doing. So <laughs> it's always up so, to some. So maybe <laughs> I'd eat the steak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can listen to my thoughts on that, Alex. <laughs> ah. <laughs> You know what? I hate living, but I hate dying more. <laughs> Don't you sound like Hamlet? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so, yes, new episode of Really True Fiction. Check it out. It was a lot of fun to record again. It was very lively. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And Alex Wan, how about you? Can people find you? Yeah, if you go to this, you know, rural bar in the Pacific Northwest, you cannot find me there because I will not be hanging out with neo Nazis. <laughs> Helpful. <laughs> You don't care. Who knows it? Alrighty. I don't care who knows. <laughs> well, that will do us for another episode of Nothing to Fear. Thank you very much. Person who suggested Green Room, I'm sorry I forgot to write down your name. So if you did suggest it, let me know. Thank you very much for the suggestion. We're going to do listener suggestions all this month. And next week is my choice. And I'm going back into the sequel realm because I have heard many, many times that Hellraiser is not complete without watching Hellraiser 1 and 2, so we are going to be diving back into the world of the Cenobites with Hellraiser 2 Mm. next week. Hellraiser 2? I barely knew her also. (laughs) Rectum? Darn near Hellraiser 2-dom!
<laughs> I was really hoping you choose that because I looked at the list. I was like, that's what I'm going to say if you choose that. Nice. So thank you, Billy. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad to help out. And so to to my friend Jennifer there, I picked the movie you want. Stop mm-hmm. telling me to pick it. No, I'm just kidding. Love you, Jen. All right. Remember, folks, they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. Hey, listeners, it's Billy again. I'm jumping in before the sting because, you know what, it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. And I wanted to add a second cheer to this episode because, again, I can do whatever I want. It's my podcast, so you just have to listen to it. I guess you could stop, but please don't. (laughs) I'm adding a second cheer because if you're listening to this on the day it is released, November the 1st, 2021, this is my second anniversary of starting... HRT, Hormone Replacement Therapy. Being transgender, HRT has been um, truly 100% life-saving to me. I would not be where I am today without it. It has brought my mind and my body closer in alignment than I ever thought possible. I'm so grateful and so fortunate to live in a place where I can get access to it. I know it's not that case for everybody, but I'm just really, really thankful today that... I have access to this wonderful life-saving treatment, and yeah, two years of being me, so yay, trans rights, and if you want to celebrate my second trans birthday, then you can join our Patreon. So yeah, thank you, and enjoy the stinger. Goodbye! Where can I buy a machete? Uh, don't Ooh. You search that, <laughs> dude, you're gonna get <laughs> Google all over you. Listen, combined with this episode and your shirt's history, this is enough to put you away for a long time, Alex. <laughs> all right, Home Depot. Home Depot. Oh, we're, we're doing Googling. We're doing Oh, live. you can't. Okay, so you can buy a utility a utility machete at Home Depot for 1998, but it is really? out of stock online and it's not sold in stores. Well, they don't call them Shit. murder machetes. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta go to the dark web for a murder machete. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.